Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the church in Antioch in the book of Acts and how it can be a model for ministry for us. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to thank you for listening to our sermons. Our church runs on a fiscal year. That means that we are currently thinking about the work God has done in our church in the last year. One of the big things that we are celebrating is how many times our sermon audio has been listened to over 40,000 times. We reached the top charts in multiple countries in the category of Christianity, and people in countries all over the world listened. The most listened to sermon was one I preached in 2015 called Psalms, Hymns, and Songs. The most listened to sermon that was preached at our church this year was Water Into Wine. Perhaps even cooler is that I was able to talk to people who have been impacted by our sermons that don't even live anywhere near us. We are not a big church and it is truly amazing to know that our sermons are making a difference. Anyway, I want to say a big thank you to all of you who have taken time to listen, especially those of you that listen consistently. From those of you in Delta, Colorado, to those outside of Wichita, Kansas, to those in Los Angeles and Dallas, to those in Boardman, Oregon, to those in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and everywhere else. I love knowing that you're out there. I love knowing that the preparation I put into making a sermon is important far beyond the walls of our church. Thank you. As always, I hope that this sermon and all the others will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. My name's Chad. I'm a pastor at this church, and I mentioned offhandedly last week uh, that I'm going on sabbatical, and I realized that uh, not everybody maybe knew that. I, I sent an email. If you've been at our church, uh, you know, and you got on the mailing list, then then you would have known about that. But not everybody probably did. And and so uh, I, I want to bring that up again to say uh, just a couple of things about it. One will segue into my sermon, I promise. But the first is uh, that the church is going to do awesome and be awesome uh, this summer uh, through September. And um, we have... Uh, you know, one of the things you think about when you think about me is sermons, right? And so you go, who's going to preach? And thankfully, we have, we have good communicators right here in this church, and so you'll hear from several of them. Uh, and then we have people from the outside that will come in, and they'll speak to you uh, later uh, in a series called My Favorite Psalm. And I, I think, you know, last year, uh, I, I didn't take this much time off, but I, I didn't preach for like five or six weeks where we had people come in for a series called Hey Church, and that was, I think that's the best series of sermons we did last year is the series that I did nothing in, and so I thought those sermons were fantastic. Some of you will remember Brian, my friend Brian, who's a pastor down in Corvallis, uh, talking about the human trafficking story with the lady that was here who had been human trafficked. Like, I actually think that was uh, no offense to you other people in our church that spoke last year. I think that's the best sermon that, that was in our church last year. And so uh, you're in good hands as far as preaching goes. We, uh, we almost have all of the responsibilities that I need to have handed off hand it off. Uh, there's a few things left. You might get an email from me uh, in the next week and a half. But the church is going to do, to do great things. Um, I also want to bring that up because... Uh, because, uh, like I said, I think that there's a segue into this sermon today, and I, I think this this sermon uh, is more for me uh, than it is for you. Almost, you're welcome to listen to it. Uh, you don't have to leave, but but I think it's more for me almost than it is 
for you because uh, I'm taking a sabbatical in large part because I just, I'm leading from a place of emptiness right now. And uh, I've always had, I think, good habits because I went to Corbin University and, and, and they, I mean, they, they ingrained two things into people like over and over and over again. Like one, make sure you pick a good spouse. That was like number one. You got to pick a good spouse. And I did okay. Um, and number two, uh, and, and number two uh, is, is like have good spiritual habits or else you'll burn out. And, and, and I think I did that, but then COVID came and, and, and it just took so much energy. I, I was thinking of it like uh, just today as I was driving, like uh, if, if ministry is like, you know, like uh, you, if you're the bucket and there's like a little hole and ministry is what's coming out of that hole, I've done pretty good at making sure more was going into that hole than that was being poured out all these years. And then COVID came, it's like the whole bucket got poured out. And no matter how hard I try right now, I, it's like I'm putting cups of water in, but like, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to get back to Sunday mornings and we're working on selling the property and needs come up. And, and so it's just like, there's not enough ability to replenish. And so I'm taking this break, but, but this sermon, I think, is important for me because because uh, I've been so, over the last few years, just focused on survival, uh, you know, in my own, like, ministry, uh, as far as, like, staying in it, uh, but also just keeping our church alive that, that, that I think uh, I've lost track of, of some of what I want to be about. And, uh, and I was able to talk about some of that last week because we began this series on the church in Antioch, which is this church in the book of Acts that, that is a model for ministry, as you just heard Jerry say on the voiceover. And, and, and today builds upon that. And, and, and what I'm going to preach here is I think something that over the next three months, as, as I don't preach, I'm going to think about some of the questions that, that this passage raises for our church, because I think, I think they're really, really valuable. This church in Antioch was perhaps the most, I think the, maybe the most influential or transformation, transformative, excuse me, church, maybe outside of Jerusalem. I was thinking about this. I don't have good evidence for this. But if you did like a, a church family tree and you just talked about like how many you know, Christians around the world uh, are churches responsible, and if you went back in history all the way, like Antioch would be perhaps the most, that, that they have been the most influential throughout the millennia church that's maybe ever existed because of really what we're going to see in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today. Really what's it in this, like it's actually this story that I think makes them perhaps the most influential church in the history of the world. The, the church was established in Acts 11, we talked about that last week. Um, some people were, were the, the church was persecuted in Jerusalem, and so some people fled, and they went to these different cities, and some came and they preached just to Jews, but others came and they preached to Jews and Gentiles alike, and, and people became Christians 
And as they became Christians, this church was formed in this city called Antioch and the church in Jerusalem, which was the epicenter for church at that time. They hear about what's going on in Antioch and they send this cool guy down there uh, named Barnabas to see what's going on. And he sees what the grace of God has done. That was a big point for my sermon last week, what the grace of God has done. And then he encourages them And this was in my sermon notes last week, and I totally forgot about it, which I don't normally do. But he encourages them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. To remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. If I could encourage you and our church to be about one thing, it would be to remain true to the Lord with all of our hearts. So Barnabas is there, he's preaching, remain true to the Lord with all your heart. And then out of that, more and more people become Christians. And then he goes down and he gets this man named Paul who is converted uh, in between, you know, the persecution breaking out and this church starting. He's converted to Christianity. He goes from being one of the great enemies of Christianity to one of the great preachers and most influential people in Christianity. And it's said about him that he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus and he was speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. But then a bunch of people wanted to kill him because of that. And so Paul had been sent by other Christians down to his hometown called Tarsus. Now, this is very interesting to me. If you're just reading the story of Acts in the Bible, It appears that Paul is sent down to Tarsus uh, because, you know, the people don't want him to get killed. It it appears that he's sent down there for a minute. That's the way the book of Acts read. If you're just reading through the book of Acts, it's like he went to Tarsus and then all of a sudden Barnabas is picking him up in Antioch. It's somewhere between like eight and 14 years between Paul being sent away so that he's not killed And then the very next thing we read about him, him coming to Antioch to share in the preaching load with this guy named Barnabas. Adam Hamilton uh, said this, in Acts 9, we find Paul moving back home in his late 20s. The son who was destined for greatness, who was educated in the finest schools in Tarsus and Jerusalem, likely moved back into his parents' house. How many young adults today can relate to this story? Well, I can because I'm living with my parents right now. And so I thought, wow, that's, I love this story. This is amazing. What do Paul and I have in common? Not our preaching, not our influence, but we moved back in with our parents uh, as semi-middle-aged people, more me middle-aged than Paul. Uh, but, but here's Paul moving back what most people believe is into his parents' house after his conversion, after being this fiery preacher, And even more, after this prophecy is made about him. Uh, The prophecy, if you're reading through the book of Acts, you don't read it when he first is converted. You actually read it in Acts 22, 15. But but it's it's a prophecy that's made immediately after he becomes a Christian. It says, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Paul becomes a Christian. And God's like, you're gonna be my witness to all people, it's hyperbole, but all people. And then he's preaching, thinks he's on the right path. Wham, he's sent home, goes and lives with his parents. Adam Hamilton again says, he undoubtedly grew in wisdom, which included both head and heart knowledge and gained through lived experience. I've found that often the greatest wisdom building experiences are those that come in the midst of disappointment, adversity, and waiting. 
Our faith grows even deeper, though we may not recognize it at the time. And so here's Paul, who's going to be this great, this, I mean, you know, I mean, one of the most influential followers of Jesus that's ever lived. We can make the case the most. And he begins his ministry, and then it stops. And he goes home to live with his parents, and it appears that it's this incredible time of growth. Now, I say that to encourage myself. I say that to encourage any of you who feel like God has called you to something, but maybe you're stuck in a waiting period. But I also say all of that because I think it's really important to the success of this church in Antioch. This church didn't just get when Paul was brought back to preach. They didn't just get this fiery, young, passionate, talented, gifted communicator. But instead, they got this fiery, talented, passionate, young communicator that has spent a decade growing and deepening in his faith. I think that one of the biggest problems that the American church has today is that it overvalues young, talented communicators over and above godly, spiritual, Christ-following ministers of Jesus Christ. I've seen even this... um, Frankly, I think at Creekside, I was a young, passionate, stupid, pretty good communicator once, and, uh, and, and a lot of people at our church, I think, valued what I could do over and above what Greg could do. Um, and Greg was a godly man who was serving with all of his heart, sacrificing of himself, and yet... Yet, I had somebody say to me once, you tell me when you're the pastor and I'll come back to this church. Because I was young and fiery and yelled a lot and passionate. You look around at all of the moral failings of famous pastors and I think that we could make the connection to the disconnect from what happens in Paul's life and what happens in these people and and frankly to these people because the church elevates them before they're ready to be elevated. If you're picking a pastor, you should always pick the guy who spent a decade developing their soul over and above the one who can just talk really well. And so when Paul shows back up in Antioch, it's not the same guy that was out there preaching. He still is passionate, deeply passionate. He still loves Jesus. He's still on fire for Jesus. But he's had 10 years to grow as a Christian before going into the first full-time kind of ministry that we know about in his life. And so Paul and Barnabas begin to teach this church. And my point last week was the grace of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles led to the service of others. And then, so there's two guys, they're preaching, they're teaching, they spend about a year there. And then the story of the church in Antioch stops for a chapter when you're moving through the book of Acts. It doesn't talk about it in Acts 
chapter 12. And frankly, moving forward, all you're going to get, and this is what people are going to be preaching on in our church over the next several weeks, you're going to get these little glimpses of what's going on in the church at Antioch. And the first of these kind of little glimpses into what's going on after the beginnings of this church and after the preaching of Paul and Barnabas is in Acts 13. And so I don't want you to forget anything I've said so far, but now I'm going to read to you one of these kind of snapshots or the first part of this snapshot into what's taking place in this church that's begun and is you know, being led by the Holy Spirit and following the grace of God and they serving others because they love Jesus. And this is kind of the first snapshot we get into what's going on. Now in the church in, at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, Tetrarch, Tetrarch and Saul. Now, I want to draw your attention one more time to the, the, the timeline of the book of Acts. Now, this is 1.5 chapters later, but it's actually probably three to six years later makes it different, right? So three to six years later, here's this church. We know their beginnings. We've talked about what, how it got started. So what is happening in this church now? Well, the number one thing is that it seems like they have four more prophets and teachers. Now, both of these are spiritual gifts in the New Testament, both prophecy and uh, teaching and Prophets and teachers are, are spiritual gifts and, and, and people that are given by God to the early church. And I want to make a quick note about prophets because normally we think about these future tellers and usually that's actually not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about prophets. Sometimes it is, but not most of the time. A prophet usually is giving God's perspective on current situations. Read through the minor prophets, and there's some level of like, hey, God is going to punish you. That's future telling in some ways. But mainly, it's like, because look at how you're not living for him right now. And so a prophet's primary function most of the time is to give God's perspective on the present situation and how people are living or not living for God in the current culture and current context. John Paul Hill says, it is that of speaking an inspired word from God for the edification and direction of the community. And Bob Utley, who if you're around for my Roman series, you know he's one of my favorite preachers. He says, that prophets teach us how to apply New Testament truths to current situations and needs. And so this group that's listed is probably doing both of those things. They are teaching the things of God, but they are also showing people how those teachings apply and can be lived out in the current context and culture in which these people, in which this church is living and existing. And so in three to six years, what's happened well, they've doubled or more the amount of people who are equipped and qualified and able to teach and give God's perspective on what's happening in the church and the world. 
Now, to be fair, Lucius and Menaean, um, they may be part of the founding group. So these guys were Christians that were passionate about sharing Jesus with people, and they told people about Jesus probably upon fleeing persecution. And so they, they started, you know, maybe further ahead in their willingness to talk about Jesus, but it seems that after time, they've grown into men who can teach and give God's perspective on current situations. By the way, quick side note, uh, that second guy, Manan, he's a guy who had been brought up with Herod, which probably means that he uh, was, it literally means that he was nursed by the same person, but it probably means that he was a brother or a foster brother of Herod, which just reminds me, uh, because Herod was one that conspired to kill Jesus, it reminds me that God can lead anybody to salvation. Listen to Acts 4.27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the other Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And now his brother or foster brother or at least close family friend is one of these men in Antioch teaching and preaching to the church. That's pretty cool to me. And so I just put this question out to myself as much as to you, but I think it's so important What would it take for our church to continue to grow in such a way that more and more people were qualified to teach and lead and guide others in their spiritual journey? I think we need to be a church that's focused on that. For me, one thing that I know God is calling me to do in the uh, second act of my ministry is to invest more in young men one-on-one to develop them. And, and I hope that some will become pastors someday because there is going to be, this is a true scary reality for the American church right now, there is going to be a crazy shortage of pastors in the next 10 to 20 years. Like pastors are old right now and not many people are studying and trying to become pastors. And so I ask one more time, what would it take for our church, our church to be a church that grew people into people who could help others grow? What would it take for our church to develop pastors? Now, listen to Acts 13 too. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. They probably refers to the congregation. They're in the middle of a worship service. I find it very fascinating that in the midst of this worship service, they hear from the Holy Spirit. What would that look like? How does that work? Would that even happen in the kinds of churches, the type of churches that we have today? But I want to stop and talk about just how they were fasting. Now, fasting is something, I don't want to go deeply into it, come to our Ash Wednesday service next year, and I'll go deeply into it as I do every year, but fasting is something that is done biblically when people recognize their desperation for God. They need God to move, or they need to find God's direction in something, and so it seems that this church is in the midst of a period where they recognize, we're always desperate for God, right, but they recognize Uh, some level of desperation, extra desperation, if you will. And so they are fasting and, and looking for answers from God. And so they're in this worship service and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. 
Interestingly, this is only the third time in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is recorded as speaking directly as a character in the story. Most of the time when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's, it's like somebody says the Holy Spirit is said, but this is one of, you know, the third time where it's like the Holy Spirit speaking directly. It's the first time where the Holy Spirit speaks to a group and not to an individual. And what he says is this, set apart, which is a really important term in the Bible, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work which I have called them. God wants them to push Paul and Barnabas out the door to do a different ministry. Now, sounds nice. If you know the story of Acts, this is a really good thing. But if you're that church in Antioch, this is terrible. I mean, like, now this is, you know, this is not the same, and but in our little church here, right, like this would be like God telling, telling us that it needs to send out, we need to send out me and Matt, the people who communicate the most at this church, to go do another ministry. And now Matt and I, no offense to Matt, but we're not Paul and Barnabas, um, like especially Matt. Um, just kidding. He's my brother-in-law. I could say those types of things. Uh, but I mean, Paul has already been willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Neither Matt or I have ever put ourselves in that situation. And Barnabas has been so encouraging in the early church that, that they've given him this name, uh, you know, Barnabas, which means like encourager. And he's known for his incredible generosity. And so like this is, you know, like sending Matt and I out if Matt and I were a lot better. Like, I mean, that's what this is like. And, and that's like when you look at the story in Acts, it's like, eh, whatever. But when you really think about what that would be like for a church to send out the people who are, are the, the face of the church, who communicate the most, who have taught the longest, who have been there for a while. I mean, this, this would be a really difficult ask. This is a big request, a big command from God. There's this other question that I wrote down that I think is important. Like, what would it take for us to raise up Christians who can invest in other Christians, and what would it take for us to raise up pastors? But then this other question is like, what would it take for us to be a church in three to six years that could send out our best leaders and feel good about it? And that's, you know, you you guys are probably looking at me going, well, you got to answer that question. <laughs> like, I mean, like, that's, it's outside my pay grade, Chad. But, but I think that's an important question for us and every church to ask. What would, that, what would that look like? What needs to happen for that to happen? And that's one of the big questions that I'm going to ponder in the next three months while I'm not here. Like, what would it take for Creekside to be a church that could send out our best leaders in three to six years to do the work that God has called them to do. Uh, by the way, in, in Acts 14, 26, it seems that this specific work kind of comes to an end, and they come back to Antioch, and you'll hear some about that story later. Uh, and in Acts 14, 27, they describe that work, and they say that God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So this is a really big deal. These people are desperate for God in some way. They fast, they seek God, and God's his response to this is, hey, send out you know, your best, your most influential leaders. 
And then in Acts 13, 3, it says, so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I, I just find it interesting, maybe you won't, but I think it's interesting that they fasted in finding an answer from God in their desperation for God, and then they fasted as they prepared to follow the request of God. I believe that fasting is underrated in the church today, and we've actually seen God work in response to our fasting pretty powerfully in the past as a church. Um, by the way, also, uh, this is interesting to me too, three times it is recorded that a church fasted in the book of Acts. Uh, two of them are right here in these two moments in Antioch, and the other one is also Antioch. And I find that interesting. The most influential church maybe that's ever existed, they fasted. And they're the ones that we know fasted. But then they pray for Paul and Barnabas. I think this is a beautiful picture of sending people out. This is the best way for people to leave a church, I believe. And one of my favorite things that we do as a church, and it's, it's a mixed feeling, it's mixed emotions. I love when we have the opportunity to pray for people who are leaving our church because it means that they're leaving our church in the right way and that even if they're not, you know, in ministry or pastors or leaders in our church, even then we know that we are not just, you know, watching them go because they got sick of us or thought that another church was going to be significantly better, but we're actually sending them off to go do what they believe God has called them to do next, to live wherever God has called them to live, to serve wherever God has called them to serve, and to be in a church wherever God has called them to be in a church. And this is what happens here. Paul and Barnabas are prayed for. They laid their hands on them, which is basically an endorsement of the work they are going to do. And then they send them off. Man, for me, what this suggests about this church is that they were doing exactly what Barnabas had called them to do in the very early stages of this ministry. Be faithful to the Lord with all your hearts. Like, want what God wants more than anything else. And this church, they're forced, I mean, to make a decision. Are we gonna be obedient here and send off these people? And what's gonna happen to us? What's gonna happen to our ministries? What's gonna happen to our teaching? I mean, Nahum's not nearly as good as Paul. Like, I don't like his sermons nearly as much as I like Paul's. That guy's young and fiery. What's gonna happen to us? What is gonna happen to me? How does this affect my life? And they choose to be obedient to God over and above doing what might be best for themselves. The church in Antioch seems to have a heart for obedience and the kingdom over and above a passion to develop their own church. Like that's the thing from this passage of scripture that, that I'm like, I want us to be that way. I mean, the church in Acts, you know, this church, it's like this Gentile congregation in the city, and, and it's not an easy city to do ministry, I'm sure. And there they become, they become the first Gentile congregation. They become the first to really witness to people in their own city. And now they're going to become the first to send people out to do, in our modern words, foreign missions. Like this church wants to see people reached even if it's hard for their church. 
I think about, you know, as, as I just, this passage, like, the last few years have been so much about keeping our church moving forward that this part, for me, and I, I think our church as a whole, but like, we've forgotten in some ways, I have forgotten in some ways, that this is about God's kingdom and not about Creekside Bible Church. Like, we're just trying to keep things going and, you know, finding places to meet. And I'm trying to fill myself up while feeling like I'm being poured out <laughs> far too great a rate. And this church in Antioch demonstrates that, that we need to be about obedience to God and the growth of his kingdom over and above the development of our own local congregation. I want to get back to that. It's one of our core values as a church, actually, is global. And, and by that, we mean that, that we're not here just to serve ourselves. We're here to serve God everywhere. And if we can invest in another church, if we can help another church, we've done that through the years. We've, we've always been willing to help. We always, uh, you know... We're always willing to share. We, we always try to invest outside. But some of that has been lost just by, just by trying to survive. And, and I want to get back to it because I want to be a church that, that does things in such a way that, that we develop Christians who can develop Christians and that we can raise up future pastors and, and who is willing to send off our best teachers all because we value, we value obedience to God and the growth of his kingdom because we want to remain true to him with all of our hearts over and above our selfish desire to see this thing get bigger. That's not what it's about. The model that Antioch demonstrates here is that we need to have a heart for obedience in the kingdom over and above the building of our own church. And so here's, here's uh, just how I kind of want to finish uh, my sermon today. Um, no, like, personal commitment so much. There's no uh, strong call to action except for, for this one. Uh, I, want, I want to ask you in just a second to bow your heads, and I want you to pray for another church. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to pray for another church or a missionary that you know or a ministry leader or a pastor. I want you to pray for someone outside of our congregation. And then if you will, if you care about this, we have those response cards that, that are in front of you and you can grab one of those and, and I'm gonna ask you, don't, I don't want you to turn them in today. I want you to write that church or that name down that, that you'll pray for or that missionary or that minister. I want you to write that down. I want you to take it home and I want you to, to commit just to pray for uh, that church or missionary or ministry leader or pastor for the next week. And as you do, I just want it to be a reminder to you that we should be about obedience to God and the growth of his kingdom over and above the building of our own church. That doesn't mean we don't build our own church. That doesn't mean that we don't need people to help tear down after church while I'm on sabbatical. Uh, that doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean that we are in this for Jesus and not just ourselves or Creekside Bible Church. So will you bow your heads and will you pray for another church or ministry leader, all those things I just said?
you know, God, uh, pastors and churches have faced incredible struggles in the last few years, Lord, all around the world. And um, I think of a friend whose church just closed their doors, and that's the it's the fourth church that, <laughs> like, it was in our situation that uh, that had uh, been meeting in a school, Lord, that that I know of personally that's closed their doors, and you know, I'm I'm sorry, Lord, for spending, if any, you know, very little time in prayer for these other churches who have have struggled with the same things. I've, I've prayed for our church and whined about what we've been through and all of that, but not the other churches, God, and it, and it demonstrates something wrong with my own heart. Uh, that I too often, Lord, want to build this thing, which I think is the hardest for, for people in my position not to want to build this thing that I, that I lead and work for every day, Lord. But I valued that over and above just your kingdom growing, God. And so I pray, God, for churches all around the world and, and the struggles that they're going through. I know churches are not bringing in as much money. I know that churches don't have the volunteers. I know that churches are struggling to connect with the people that they want to reach. I know that churches have far less people attending on Sunday mornings. And I pray, God, that that you would just lead your church all over this world uh, to, to see what you're doing and, and to uh, seek you like this church in Antioch and, and be obedient to what your Holy Spirit would lead them to do, even if it doesn't make any sense at all, Lord. Um, even if it goes against the the grain of, of what is seemingly good for their church, Lord, I pray that they and we would do it anyway. Because, Lord, because we believe in this incredible story called the gospel where you did not do, Lord, what you know, it was easy um, or it felt good, but you did what was right and you saved us through that, Lord. And, and we serve you who is so gracious and uh, sacrificial to us and we want to be like you, Lord. And I pray that we would be like you as people and as a church and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.